What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to the Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and in this episode, we're doing the film Sound of Metal. What's interesting about this film is that it's an international film, in that it was shot in the U.S., the editing was done in Denmark, the sound was done in France, the mix was done in Mexico, this film was around the world. And so I actually got to sit down with the editor, Mikkel Nielsen, who's actually in Denmark. And joining us was Nicholas Becker, who's the supervising sound editor in France. And we sit down and talk about this film. It's definitely a film you should check out. It's on Amazon Prime. It covers the story of a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing and how he has to deal with that. Now, if you enjoy these interviews that we do, you're really going to enjoy FilmmakerU.com. At FilmmakerU.com, we create courses that deepen and diversify your existing skill set. We have the colorist from Mad Max Fury Road talking about how to do color. We have the sound designer for Martin Scorsese talking about how to do sound design. And you can get 10% off with AOTG by using the code AOTG at FilmmakerU.com. Now, with all that said, here's my interview with Nicholas and Mikhail. The first question, I guess, is going to be for you, Mikhail. The subtitles were baked in, and I couldn't turn them off in any way. Was that something that was done in the edit suite, or was that something done by Amazon? Well, it was something that was a wish from Darius that we had to have open captions throughout the film, which was one of the intriguing things for me signing on to the project, because he wanted to try to get inside of the head of a character sound-wise, so we hear and see everything from his perspective. But he also wanted us to feel, for example, in the film, there's, there's, a, there's a certain point where you, up to the midpoint on the slide, story-wise, mm-hmm. you are with your character all the way. You're with Ruben inside of his head, and you see or hear everything from his perspective. And you're also supposed to only know as much as Ruben. From the slide, when he's on the slide with the boy. Mm-hmm. And from there on and 12 minutes in, Ruben is part of a community and you know less than him. He knows sign language, but we have to read the subtitles. He can talk to everyone. He has a project. He even starts when, when Joe is asking about the future, you can see that Ruben has a project. What is it all about? He's going on the computer, searching for things, selling his airstream, you're behind the whole story. So that was the whole idea to try to turn the perspective from get in the head of Ruben and stay with your character throughout up to that midpoint, and then kind of being left a little bit alone and watch everything, him inside of this community, at least from a story perspective. Uh, So yes, to your question, that was very much something that Darius was talking about from the very first moment. You know, actually, it's very interesting. I never thought about that like that, but it's also interesting because after the fact that the audience know less than Ruben, it also gives the room for the audience to actually yeah. Yeah. participate, to be to be a part of the film, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's give a, a much more freedom. And I think that's something which is very quite rare in an American film, where you give so much room for the audience mm-hmm. to, to kind of resonate with the film, you know, with no music, with no, you know, just see things, you know, and, and, and be with him and, and be with the people and just, you know, and there's moments which are very slow where you are seeing, 
uh, the audience, start to think about it, uh, start to, you know, confront uh, uh, his own memory to what's happening from the film. And I think it's, it's, it's great, you know, I really like that. Well, it's interesting that you would say that because it felt like I was watching a European film in that like even the ending and you know spoiler alert to anyone listening (laughs) where we see him on the bench at the end for me was reminiscent of 400 blows in the sense of he got everything he wanted he got his his hearing back but it wasn't exactly what he thought it was going to be you know so it's similar to in 400 blows where he gets to the ocean he finally gets to see the ocean and then we just sort of sit with him because it's like oh it wasn't what we expected was that was that part of the process uh with Darius did he bring in other films that uh he he sort of like I'm inspired by these this is kind of what I'm going for I mean like I, I can say I can say something if you want it's like when you see like Mickey is, is from Denmark I'm mm-hmm. from France the DOP is from Holland yeah so what what is very specific that in my life I work with some directors like Mike Jokasovic or other one who actually dream about you know, you had like this in the history of movie making, European directors used to go to States. You know, it was a kind of dream. And they were like, you know, a kind of iconic thing yeah. to do, you know. And then I understood that in a way, something very specific with Darius, he kind of doing, trying to do a bit the opposite, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of reconnect to the European uh, movie making. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very interesting uh, hybridation, you know, if I can say that, you know. And, 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 and I also think that maybe in the year 2000, I, I speak for sound, huh? maybe mm-hmm. you, I think <laughs> the edit, maybe picture editing was a bit the same for you, Mickey, but like the, 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 the film was so much performative, you know, you had like 4,000 shots for a film, you had like 500 soundtrack, it was more and more and more and more, you know. And you reach a point where I think uh, some directors felt that okay, we ha- it's 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 a wall, you know, we're gonna eat the wall if you continue. So we have maybe to reconsider, you know, and 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 maybe think about trying to do something a bit different, and maybe they kind of put an, an eye on on the European cinema or even like foreign cinema, not only European. And and I think there is this happening now. There is a kind of more you know kind of mixity between. American cinema and European cinema, which is is, is now happening. Well, I wonder if that's because of all the co-productions occurring. Because here in Canada, there you know co-productions have been around for years, but I feel like that's just starting to catch on in the states in the last ten or so years. So I wonder if that's starting to sort of influence it. I don't know. I don't know if it's about the co-production. I think it's more also the fact that Darius has a huge access through internet to a lot of people a lot of films you know and it, it you you don't think about like okay i'm gonna do like my film with the good people i can find in my country but trying to you know like now now you know like i have i have i have people calling me from japan or, or georgia or, or like lithuania or brazil you know like it's not big film it's like small film but people feel that okay your work can really work with what they want you know so it's i think it's also kind of open the possibilities of, of work you know mm-hmm. i mean like now I, I, for me it's uh, it's very different i i nearly don't work anymore with french films and i love that you know i love that i love to do like one korean film and then after doing a, a you know a american film and then after a georgian film and a russian you know like it's it's so interesting you know there is this idea also of uh, that i think in music and, and a lot of 
art. You know, it's it's it's, it's much more. And and I think the, the young generation also, like for me, uh, Darius is a young director. They they want to create their dream team and then don't necessarily think about they should be American or they should be French mm-hmm. or they should be Danish or whatever. What do you think, Mikael, about that? Do you feel that too? Uh, yes, I think so. But I also think that Caviar, who produced the film, mm-hmm. is a it's a Belgian company. They all come from uh, who started the company. So, so I also think that somehow they have influenced Darius into mm-hmm. choosing. To be honest, I have absolutely no idea why Darius asked me or how I got on Darius's list uh, if, in terms of editing the, the film. I know why I got it because I asked him. I was like, "Why did you want me to edit it?" <laughs> And he was like, I promised myself that uh, I would edit with the person who said, I sat and listened to how he wanted to do the whole process and how it would be in his head. Uh, because I, I signed on while they were filming in Belgium, the last part, mm-hmm. and they shot everything chronological. So Nicholas was on the, the, the thing for, for a very long time before, maybe a year before, two years, I don't know, Nicholas, but he was talking about that you are already had like a long uh, collaboration talking about the sound and trying and testing things and stuff like that so he must have been searching for a person to edit the film and I think at some point he probably even thought about editing it himself because he used to be an editor he came from documentaries which is also probably why it has that raw uh, and organic or, or a real there's a realism to the film which is rare Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to an interview and probably a lot of editors did. He talked about the film and what he wanted to do and, and stuff like that. And then I was like, okay, but here's how I want it if you want me to edit it. Because mm-hmm. I want to do it like this and this and this and this. And at a certain point, he, he said that was the reason why he wanted to go with this. Maybe he's seen some of the my previous films. I don't know, potentially. I don't think he was drawn in the direction that it had to be European. I think he's more from a world cinema, that it could basically be anyone from anywhere part of the world, as long as it's the right person who brings something to the table. He's a New Yorker also, so he's a bit like, yeah. he has this very strong influence in New York, European influence in New York, you know. Mm-hmm. And also what was very, very important, I think, from my side, what, what I said to Darius, I said like, we we should also work with a, 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 an editor which is able to collaborate, you know, and, and, and we, we, we should be able to work together with sound and picture, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a super simple way. I try to never overact this positioning, but it was always open and I knew from Mikhail that the way he talked to me and, and he was really sincere about the fact that we're going to interact in the process, you know. And I think that was very nice, you know, for me. It's not about spending months together. There is some feedback, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a kind of, 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 of work. And when you say something, this something this, this thing is heard. You know, when Mikael something, he said to, to me something, I know he knows that I'm, I'm going to listen to that and I'm going to take care of it. So there was this kind of attention, respectful for the, the work of the, all the members of the team, you know, like, and I think Darius was also respectful about that and, and, and the producers also, because it was like, we, we work in a way that normally people don't used to work. 
-hmm. And each time we were bringing some new proposition about doing the sound or like the way we were working with the, between the sound and the picture and blah, blah, blah. And the producer was away. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Normally, most of the time, technician and director are quite okay. But it can be most of the time it's problematic because like producer have like certain way of working. And for them, it's very hard to reconsider that because they don't know exactly how it's going to cost, how it's going to, you know, how much time we're going to mm -hmm. spend to do it and blah, blah. And, and I think that also the fact that we felt that the producer were really helping us, you know, and, mm -hmm. and open to, to, to what we tried to do. It was so important also because, you know, it was never stressful. It was always like the stress was only coming for artistic reasons, but not for stupid reasons. So how did you guys work together then? Like this is a f story about sound and sound plays an important role. So from the get-go, you were involved, uh, Nicholas, by the sounds of it. So as a team, how did you, Mikhail and Nicholas, work together? I mean, like me, I, I, I went to the shoot, in the shooting. I did a lot of white tracks. We did like some tests. We were, you know, but then yeah. after uh, Mikhail uh, start to edit and it w I was more like waiting for you know, when you would have to say to me, I need you, yeah. we need you, you know, let's try this, you know, so it's more about, actually, I was following the, the process of, of UK. So my process with the, the material was to have a good long dialogue with Darius about his wishes and needs. And it's very, uh, for everyone, this has been a baby for him for so many years, and he's been trying to raise it. And at a point, he's trying to do it. And then uh, it's been on its way for a long time. And then he found uh, Sasha and Bert at Caviar, and somehow they raised this whole uh, project so they could actually shoot it for very little money. My way of working is that I like to uh, be able to play around with the material and see what is actually possible of doing. Of course, uh, there's, a, there's a story and there's a structure and there's a, there's a script, and I would always follow that. But, uh, but uh, I asked to, to do the first assembly alone the, with the footage, and, and given that they shot on film, that gave a limitation on, on footage. So there wasn't that much footage, actually. And then uh, I invited uh, uh, Darius in, which is very rare that anyone would just leave you alone uh, and do a first assembly without asking to see things or, or producers on your neck and saying, hey, we need to know if this is okay and how are the actors and do we have issues or anything. So Darius came to Copenhagen and saw the first assembly. I let him sit alone all night to look at it. I would edit it just like a normal film, follow the script and if there were uh, extra scenes or anything, add them or have something in your back pocket uh, to show these things as well. Then uh, we would uh, start that whole process of talking through because then then that layer of getting, how do you get into someone's head or how do you get this person's perspective? Because I would always edit on emotions and just try to do a first assembly as fast as possible so it has a flow. But I mean, you know that you have to redo everything anyhow. So it's more to understand what is in the scene and how do you understand the scene and also to work with uh, status in a scene. So where's the status between the characters? The, what's the story? There's a start, a middle, and an and end in each scene. So it feels it's dragging. It's like start, middle, end for each scene almost. And then you slowly find your characters, work with your characters. In, in this particular film, it was interesting to see how do we get into the film so uh, this relationship. It's not only a love relationship, it's also a work relationship between Lou and Ruben. 
uh, how do we get a status so you understand that they're equal? And we actually had a lot of scenes where they talk about music and very nerdy uh, stuff about uh, the technical aspect of, of uh, uh, how to approach music and stuff like that. When we moved uh, uh, the concert up in the start, Mm-hmm. So we saw that whole arc that the same image starting the film should also be the same image ending the film. And then you suddenly have something to go from, right? You look for, for a start and an end, and then, then you start building that whole uh, character work with, with uh, Ruben. And we know we have to be about sounds. So, so with Nicholas's sounds and with all these elements, uh, the whole concert, we knew that would be like extremely hard to listen to because it's very aggressive but it also keeps you on the edge as an audience you have never seen anything like it the film is called sound of metal so just the fact that it starts this aggressive just keeps you on the edge on on your toes for a long time throughout the whole film because it's basically the only music that you hear there's that music then there's a small piano piece with the deaf children and then the end where they're singing and then, and then, of course, there's the music that you only feel as emotions or small elements, but it's not like it's not a score no. in the same sense as 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 uh, you would do in in most American films. The idea for that was like always keep the idea that what's going to be the strongest and the more textual music will be the diegetic music. So the idea is that like never additional music could be more musical that the concert or the piano, or, you know, like the idea is that the music was like the additional music was more kind of like psychological uh, inner mud in the brain of Ruben, you know, something and something which is a mix of, of that and like a kind of memory of, of the concert, of the last things he have heard before he, he lose hearing. It's really, it's really good that. It's, I really like this idea. And also a bit like if the, the additional music was produced by the film itself or by like the resonance in, in, in the medium itself. How did you guys approach the dinner party scene towards the end where we go between what it sounds like and what Ruben's hearing? Uh, how did you find the right spots to do that? How did you approach that? Or was that all predetermined when you got it? Uh, uh, no, nothing was uh, predetermined. I mean, there was a wish for, for something and, and there was a test for something, but you never know how long you can listen to something. And often uh, uh, I would um, edit a sequence and then I would either send the sound to Nicholas or he gave us like a, a filter uh, or a program where uh, my assistant Alex and I could work with the sound and filter a, a certain section of the film like for the cochlear implants, because for how long time can you actually sit and listen to a sound which is that bad mm-hmm. and also invest in the characters? Because it also has to be, and you also have to sit and lis- listen to the fact that he meets uh, Lou's father mm-hmm. and have a dialogue there. So would you then always have to hear everything from his perspective or is it actually possible to go in and out of that? And there's like there's certain ways to play around with that mm-hmm. because if you have a certain point where it's very important that in this this section at least you don't even think about the perspective of going in and out of Ruben's head, it's because 
you have to make this agreement with you as an audience that this is how we tell the story. And by that, we have to implement these things earlier on in the film. And a crucial place was, first of all, uh, uh, of course, getting into the, the head of Ruben uh, before the concert, the second time where they're standing with the, with the records, and you suddenly hear that tinnitus sound, and you go in, and he, he reacts to it. And then you go to the concert, and it's, it's, it's the same. But then he wakes up, and you hear that silence, and you go inside of the head again, and he's uh, 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 listening, and you can see the water falling. That section is really important for the rest of the whole film understanding how do we get in and out as a language because we have to create this language that we can go in and out of his head and is it only by being with the camera behind his head or can you actually also be on the side or could it be a white shot for example mm -hmm. so that pharmacy scene is a good example of when can you go in and out when is it external and when is it internal of ruben's head because you also have to understand that there's like uh, things within the scenes that are very important to understand the next couple of scenes. Like doctor, uh, you have to go like these things. If it if it's all muffled, you don't really know. And if someone just gives you a note and we don't read what the note says, we will be uh, no less than Ruben, which then creates another problem because we have to go with Ruben. We have to be equal. Because if we're equal with our character, Ruben, then we also see the world through Ruben. But you know, I remember, uh, remember this uh, sequence, like the podcast sequence, which have been cut. And yeah. it, was, it was a good sequence, but, you know, it was actually very hard to make it work. You know, it was it, super hard, yeah. It was, you know, so we actually uh, we decided all together to remove this sequence because it was like creating more problems that it was bringing information to the film, you know. Mm -hmm. Because the yeah. way it was shot... It was impossible for both of us to create something <coughs> nice, you know. It was like mm -hmm, it became like mm -hmm, very heavy mm -hmm. very quickly, and it was too complicated. It was the constraint. A very, mm -hmm. I mean, a very interesting constraint. It, it was trying to not uh, do that like all the time and not trying never to to become like tiring, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, or like it, it was it was important to be always have an impact on the audience, but. Story, storytelling wise, you know, not in terms of like suffering physically. I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I interview. What would you guys say is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Guilty pleasure film? What What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. And you, what, what, what's yours? <laughs> there was like a series of bad Disney movies in the 90s about kids becoming really good at baseball and becoming professional and that is always ridiculous and so it's sort of it's a movie that isn't popular, but you enjoy nonetheless. Uh, for for me, I mean, like it's a very specific because I I I, I love Dune. Yeah. And a lot of people consider that Dune is a, is, is from Lynch is a bad very bad film, <laughs> but I really love this film. I think there's so much great ideas in this film. I re so I'm, I'm like, I think when you are a fan of someone, mm -hmm. one director, I think even they're, they're not their great film, you love them anyway. You know so. Yeah. But this, this this would be the first to come in my head. How about yourself, Miguel? My issue is I don't really watch that many movies. But um, 
I would say uh, the loss of sexual innocence because it's told. It's a lot of different small stories, but it's all all the short stories are told in different ways from dis- different perspectives. Mm. One story would be from outside, and you would watch everything. Uh, so it's just uh, intriguing in the way uh, the language of cinema. That uh, I have no idea if it's a good or bad movie or anything. Which I don't really care because I find it super interesting the way it uses uh, perspective in terms of with a camera or with the sound or with anything. I just remember from film school that that was like an eye opener for me that, that, hey, we can actually play around and tell things if you stay out or we can tell things a different way if we go with the character or we can fail. So, so I like to go sometimes and just uh, watch it. I don't even have it. So I saw there was a scene on YouTube. So that would probably be it. Well, thank you guys so much for letting me interview. Yeah. Have a great week, guys. Thank you so much. Same to you. So that was my interview with Nicholas and Mikhail. I'd like to thank them for joining me and allowing me to interview them. I'd also like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode and Amazon for setting up this interview. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.